You're listening to the Conversations with Kids Peace podcast. Advice, information, and inspiration from experts at the leading provider of mental and behavioral health services for children, adults, and those who love them. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to our podcast series, Conversations with Kids Peace. I'm Bob Martin. The latest issue of Kids Peace's Healing Magazine has just been published with a special section called Getting Lost in Techno Reality. We're featuring a variety of viewpoints and advice about the phenomenon of kids devoting huge amounts of time and attention to video games and social media and how to tell when it's affecting their development and lives. Today, we talk to three of our contributors to the latest issue, Dr. Michael Rich, Melanie Hempe, and Chris Ferry, and hear more about their experiences and perspectives on this situation. Joining us from Boston now is Dr. Michael Rich. He's the founder and director of the Center on Media and Child Health at Boston Children's Hospital, where he's working on researching the powerful positive and negative effects of media in order to advise parents and pediatricians on how to use media in ways that optimize child development. Dr. Rich came to medicine as a career after a career as a filmmaker. And he's currently an associate professor at Harvard Medical School and Harvard School of Public Health. His Healing Magazine article, written with his associate, Christelle Lavalli, discusses the issue of the impact of screen media on kids from a scientific perspective as a public health concern. Dr. Rich, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Um, I want to start by by something that was really interesting in in your article. You um, take exception to using the term addiction when talking about possible overuse of media by kids. Why is that? And and is there a better way to describe it in your view? Uh, Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Um, There are a number of reasons why we don't use the word addiction. First of all, we use addiction pretty lightly in our society. I'm addicted to shopping or I'm addicted to binge watching some TV show. Um, And the other end of that spectrum is that when we truly think about the word addiction or addict, we think of bums on skid row or junkies in a shooting gallery, not our 10-year-old who throws a hissy fit because he has to stop playing Fortnite and go to bed. Um, And so I think that we have to really understand what's going on and use the nomenclature accurately and appropriately. Um, In addition to this, with children, um, many of the mental health terms that are used with adults are not used for the simple reason that the child's brain is developing so rapidly and so comprehensively that you really cannot um, nail down a diagnosis as a fixed thing um, when you're dealing with the moving target of the child's developing brain. So I think that because of um, this, because of the fact that there isn't a physiologic change either when using or withdrawing the way there is with tobacco or alcohol or heroin, um, and because of the stigma that applies to it, um, we are using the term problematic interactive media use um, or PIMU. And the reason for that is all the other terminologies point at a technology and either call it addiction or not, but they aim the problem at the technology and the problem isn't the technology, the problem is us and our behavior with that technology. So we want, really want to focus on the use 
and the fact that it is problematic. And what is uh, the issue here is not the technology, because we're seeing it with gaming, with social media, with pornography, uh, with binge-watching uh, videos. Um, it is the interactivity of uh, that environment that is bringing out this problematic use. I think that's that brings an interesting question. Uh, how do you respond, given given what you're saying there, given as you're looking at, at PyMu, uh, how do you respond to those who advocate just denying kids access to social media and online games? Uh, well, for um, a practical basis, as a pediatrician as an, and as a parent, it just won't work. Um, when you deny kids something, they immediately develop a workaround. Um, and, and so that, that's one reason is it does not fit with child behavior. But another important reason is that unlike tobacco and alcohol and heroin, this is not something you can abstain from. These children need to learn to use the interactive space online to do their homework, um, to do research, to entertain themselves. But they need to learn to do it in a self-regulated way. Um, and just as they need to learn to eat in self-regulated ways or um, when they're old enough to use alcohol, to do that in a self-regulated way, our job is not to keep them away from it, which will be an impossible task anyway, but to help them learn to use it in measured and focused ways. Your article notes, too, that your research is finding an interesting possible correlation between obsessive screen use, or, or what you call PIMU, and other behavioral health conditions. Can you describe what you think is happening there? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, since the mid-1990s, there's been a lot of discourse and debate in the medical community whether, you know, this is a diagnosis of Video, first video game addiction and internet addiction. Um, and this debate continues on. Uh, and I think that interestingly, because we now have a dedicated clinic who is, that is taking care of these kids and characterizing these conditions and uh, treating them. Um, and as far as we know, we're the first uh, that is set in an academic medical center that's really evidence-based as opposed to um, kind of an alternative medicine approach, um, which has been found not to work. <laughs> but um, what we are finding, interestingly, is that in every case, we are finding an underlying um, already known um, to the medical community, already identified uh, condition. Um, those kids who are using um, uh, gaming obsessively, for example, um, very frequently have attention deficit disorder or other attentional problems. Kids on social media have anxiety disorders. And so what we believe we are seeing is not a new diagnosis or diagnoses, but in fact known diagnoses that are expressing themselves or manifesting themselves in this new environment um, that may be subclinical in every other environment, but when placed in, um, you know, complete and total access to games, to social media, um, those problems rise to the front. So it's almost that it's, it's a symptom or it's a syndrome, not a, a, a condition of itself? 
Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I have to ask this question because I, I found your background to be so fascinating. You are a doctor who used to be a filmmaker. So you kind of have one foot in both the media and medical fields. And I'm just wondering, just if you give us a view, what are some lessons that each of these worlds could learn from one another? Uh, That's a great question. Um, I think what the medical field can learn from film is that all all of human communication whether it is communicating a a problem that you're having to your doctor uh, or whether it is um, dealing with an issue with your family, all human communication centers on the narrative, the story. And so I think that what the medical field can learn from film is to listen and observe carefully to read between the lines of what is being said, to really put together um, a synthesis of the whole story for the patient, um, instead of simply trying to focus on the problem that's presenting. Um, And so I think that that issue is absolutely essential to being a um, complete doctor. Um, Now, what, what the narrative or film world can learn from medicine is um, really that it is through finding the authentic person within that finding the the truth in, in that person and getting intimate to it in all of its ups and downs and foibles um, is actually the most interesting thing. And it's not about uh, explosions or special effects or, you know, superheroes, uh, but that truly what expands our experience um, in uh, from any kind of a story or drama or film is those things which draw us closest to what it means to be human. That's, that's fantastic. I, I, I really think you, you nailed that, uh, you know, um, exactly where, where the, the importance of narrative and the importance of understanding the humanity live. So where do you see the center's work going, say, in the next five years? Um, well, we originally um, founded because um, what we were seeing is Um, And this was in the days where television was concerned before the Internet, mobile media, social media even occurred. But what we were seeing is that the issue of media use by children was becoming or had always been perhaps um, a values based one. What's right and what's wrong, Um, even the way we talked about the boob tube or the idiot box Um, and. Um, what happens when you have a values-based argument is, first of all, everybody's going to have a very different value set, and they will argue as long as they will, you will let them, and they will walk out with the same value sets. But if you can shift the dialogue to one of evidence of how we are changed by the media we use and how we use them, then you can come together with consensus around facts. Um, and so. Part of our central mission has been to 
reframe this as a public health issue. And in fact, now that we are surrounded by screens and using them constantly, it's truly an environmental health issue. Um, media are like the air children breathe. Um, so really what I'm hoping to do and is starting to happen is to move this out of the polarized discourse of blame and shame where media producers and tech you know, producers are the bad guys doing bad things to kids um, and are, you know, for good reason, strongly protecting their freedom of expression, um, to one where we can look at the facts, positive and negative, about the media we use and how we use them, move out of that blame and shame atmosphere, get into a big tent together and have all the stakeholders work together to create a better environment. So what I am hoping is that we will be seen as a safe place for the Googles and Facebooks and Apples of the world to come to us and work with us to develop product and applications that are built as strongly on the science of child development and child health as they are on engineering and, and information um, science. So that we are actually creating a second bottom line uh, for those who make technology and media. And that second bottom line is the improvement of ourselves as individuals and as a society. Uh, that sounds extraordinarily like exciting, and, and I uh, certainly wish you the best with that, and thank you for being with us today. We end each of our uh, interviews on our podcast for, uh, with our guests offering what we call a life hack. Now, we define that as like a piece of advice or a tip on how to do some task around the house better, or maybe just some inspiration that you find helps you get through the day. So, Dr. Rich, what's your life hack for us? I think for all of us, um, the issue with the media in our lives is not just what it's doing to us, but what we are not doing because uh, we are doing it. Um, and so my life hack would be to be fully mindful of our behavior, both with media and in all behaviors, understanding what we are giving up to be doing this as well as what we are doing with it. So be mindful and most importantly, be present for yourself and for those around you. Um, and one of the problems with our smartphones is it causes us to be connected around the world, but disconnected with those closest to us. Okay. Dr. Michael Rich is founder and director of the Center on Media and Child Health at Boston Children's Hospital, and his article, Children's Environmental Health in a World of Screens, is in the spring-summer issue of Healing Magazine. Dr. Rich, again, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. A quick note, if you've downloaded or subscribed to our podcast through iTunes, please don't forget to rate us and write a review there. We now welcome to the podcast on the phone from Charlotte, North Carolina, Melanie Hempe. Melanie is a registered nurse and the founder of Families Managing Media. 
an organization dedicated to helping parents reset their child's screen habits and reconnect their families. Her article on FMM's work and the lessons she's learned is in the latest issue of Healing Magazine. And Melanie, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Now, Melanie, you note in your article in Healing that an important turning point for your efforts was the first public meeting you put together in this subject of screen and gaming addiction. Can you describe that scene, what happened there? Yeah, it was um, it was very unexpected. I'll be honest with you, Bob. Um, I had been struggling a lot, um, as you know from the article, with my oldest son. He was having a lot of trouble with his gaming addiction, went to college, did not finish his first year. He did not finish all his classes, came home. And I started doing a lot of research on um, what happened to him. I um, went around the country, actually, and talked to a bunch of doctors and neuroscientists and child development specialists. And for the first time, I realized that you could actually be addicted to um, a screen. Like, who would have known? So what happened was we had been um, at our school. We had worked with a counselor at our school, and we were very close to some of the folks there. So I just mentioned maybe we should have, you know, a meeting, and I, I could talk to some other parents that might be struggling with this because, you know, I, I was okay being the only one, but it was kind of lonely thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm the only mom out here struggling with this. So I put a little flyer up that was not even an email. It was just a flyer on the bulletin board, which, you know, those things generally don't get a whole lot of attention. Um, and lo and behold, we had over 120 people come to this first meeting. And I, I mean, we were trying to meet in the science lab and we couldn't even fit. <laughs> and so the principal was like, oh, my goodness, we so many people are struggling with this. And so that was sort of a real eye opening thing for me at the time that it was a very private struggle that parents were having with not knowing you know, what to do with their their kids. At that time, it was their boys on video games. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that because I think it, we, we see that so often. The families are dealing with something. They're not really sure what they're supposed to do or what kind of options or resources are available. And then someone like yourself takes the initiative to say, hey, we're going to talk about this. And all of a sudden, all these other families are comparing notes going, yeah, yeah, we have, we have the same concerns. And that, that must have been very um, affirming for what you were going through. Yeah, it was very affirming and it was very sad <laughs> at the same time because, um, I mean, it was definitely, I knew I was onto something, you know, and I knew that parents, you know, that we just needed more information on this. And, and the reason why is this is a very um, isolating issue, not only for the child, you know, himself, but obviously for the family, because what happens is when your child is addicted to his, his screen, um, they, they're not out, um, you know, with the family that much, even just day to day. So they're down in the basement or they're up in their room or they're in a quiet, dark corner somewhere, literally playing, because if they were in front of mom all the time, she would be shooing them off the device. But the way screens are in our life. And then of course, now that they've gotten even smaller on, on our smartphones, it's easy to kind of hide and, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And, and so when you have kids, you know, they're supposed to be really loud and noisy and you're supposed to hear from them all the time in your house. But when you have a gamer, you know, they disappear for hours. And I feel like this is so out of sight, out of mind. Right. So mom just thinks, well, at least they're um, not getting in trouble. And, you know, I guess they're OK. But then until you see a flyer at your school that says, hey, is your 
is your child addicted to his video game? And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh my gosh, that could be what is going on. I think parents know deep down in their gut. I think they know um, that there's something wrong, but whoever thought that you could be addicted to a video game, I sure didn't. And they, they didn't, you know, I didn't learn this in nursing school. And so I, I had no idea. Now, in your opinion, is there a safe age to allow children access to smartphones or the online games? No, there's not like one safe age. However, there's a very good way to determine when your child is ready. And that is just by looking at their other skills, their social skills, their life skills. You can tell a maturity of a child by um, how much responsibility that he's taking. And by that, I mean, um, are you still having to remind him every day to brush his teeth <laughs> and change his clothes? And I mean, it, you know, are you still cutting his meat at dinner? Are you reminding him every day to walk the dog? You know, these are all signs that your child is not mature enough to control even their most basic functions in their life. And there's nothing wrong with them. I mean, we know a child's brain is not fully developed till they're 25 years old. So it's a process. Um, no amount of parenting, no amount of intelligence really changes that maturity. So you can have a very intelligent child, but they still are not mature enough to know when enough is enough and when to get off the screen. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with screens. It's not like, um, you know, they're all bad. That's not it. The problem is that they are very hard to manage because it is a drug. It's it, dopamine being released in their brain. It is a chemical. And if I had known that with my oldest son, I had no idea about all the physical effects. And so um, the best age is very simple in my opinion where you you can just look at your child and see how mature they are you know the problem is with games today is very different from where they were even 15 years ago or even 10 years ago i mean pac-man is nowhere near as addictive in the same ways as, as games are today because we have you know all the engineers behind it they know how to keep their attention so it's not as easy um it's not as easy as, as you think. And so the age, now I say the best age for a smartphone, honestly, is when you're ready for your child to view pornography. Not, not when you want him to view pornography, but when you're ready and you feel like they're ready for that adult content would be the best age. So um, you can do the math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you make an interesting point there about, you know, the, the, uh, the progress on the video games and the online gaming. There's a, uh, uh, a traveling exhibit now regarding the evolution of video games, which I happen to have a chance to go see with my family uh, locally here. And um, the first uh, the first room of it is all of the arcade games of my youth. And as far as the younger people that were with, it was almost like they were going to see, you know, treasures from King Tut's tomb. Sure. <laughs> but then sure. as you went through the exhibit, you started seeing how they had... Um, advanced in the technology to become more interactive with the um, the mental process of of the player and it, 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 it having seen that and having read your article I was really uh, yeah. really impressed with how the two meshed let me yeah. ask you something else you, you allude to in the articles I thought was really interesting so if you're a family and you're you're maybe seeking to limit the impact of social media or the internet on your children how big of an issue is peer pressure among their friends who are active on social media? Oh, it's, it's very much a, a big issue. Um, it doesn't mean that as a parent, you can't 
um, you know, do anything about it. Um, but it's a big issue, just like every generation has had an incredible amount of peer pressure around whatever the social issue was at the time, you know, that the culture was, was dishing out, whether, you know, it was drugs or drinking. And now it seems to be all this addiction to screens. And so what we recommend is that uh, the parents and, and myself included, I made so many mistakes, you know, and I have four children. So the first one, I kind of had a rough and tumble start there. Um, I, the, the next three, I, I kind of wised up and I have twins that are 13. And so I'm right in the middle of, um, of the peer issue right now. But what I know now is that I really don't care about peer pressure, right? So I know what's best for my boys. And I know that if I put them on social media right now, we'd be in a heap of trouble. They're normal boys. Um, and just like my daughter, I, I ended up uh, giving her a basic phone and that's what she had till she was 18 and she did just fine. The peer pressure wasn't a really big issue um, for us because we chose as a family to just treat it differently. And just like if your kid was allergic to peanuts or if, if they're allergic to gluten or something, you have to go gluten free. You know, I just tell my friends, my kids are allergic to pornography and, <laughs> and I don't, and I don't really trust them. And, um, and that's okay. I love them to death. And that's why. I don't trust them and they need me to protect them. There is no way a child can protect themselves on social media and social media was not designed for children. Social media is a marketing platform um, and you know it, it's awesome for that. It works really well for that but kids can take it and do a lot of harm. So it's just like smoking back. I don't know if you remember back in the day when smoking was so popular and teenagers were smoking all the time and they even had um, they even had little patios at the schools uh, you know so kids could go smoke on the patios. I don't know if you remember this but we thought. I well, have to say I am old enough to remember that so. so you remember that so what were you know my point is what were we thinking right so the minute that we found out that smoking was bad for us we would not allow our kids to do that what parent would allow their kid at dinner to just light up and smoke a pack of cigarettes we would never allow them to we don't care what their peers are doing and that's how i feel about this i don't want my child's brain to be rewired which is now what we're learning is happening their brains are changing this all this exposure to screens is changing, especially a developing brain. You and I are already fully developed and, you know, so be it. But our kids are not. And as a parent, we have to just be we have to just smile a lot <laughs> and say, honey, no, I'm sorry. But we don't we're not doing that. And we know there's a lot of peer pressure. And so what we'd like to do is have your friends over here. So I have friends over at our house all the time. It is not for the faint of heart. Um, for moms and dads, you have to get a little more involved in your kid's life because it's easier to just let them think they're having a social life on social media, which we know they're not. We know that is not really a social life and they, they're trying to pretend it is. And, and then they're getting depressed and anxious and suicidal and it's just a disaster. So the answer is that peer pressure is not how we drive our family. Um, we, we don't do things because everybody else is doing things. And we know that when a child has, is more parent oriented rather than peer oriented, they do better in every area of their life. Now, um, you, you and your group, Families Managing Media, have been going um, forward with, with this work for a few years now. Um, what would you say is the most important impact that you feel that the group has had on this issue? The most important impact is that we are providing a voice for, for parents who didn't, who were just really having a hard time finding their voice, we are saying what parents are really wanting to say, and that is 
enough is enough. This stuff is not good for our kids. We're going to limit it. it. It's not that we're going to run away from technology, but we're going to delay the dangerous technology and all that entertainment technology. So I think that's our most important thing um, that we're providing a way for parents to, uh, you know, just have that voice within their own families. Now, if someone's interested in uh, FMM or the work that the group is doing, how can they become involved or learn more about it? Well, if they're local in North Carolina, of course, we always need volunteers. We, we're working on just a grassroots effort to raise awareness and educate parents and as many parents as we possibly can. Um, we are not educating kids necessarily. We're trying to educate the parents so the parents can then, you know, educate their own their own children. We think that's the best way to do it. So our website is familiesmanagementmedia.com. Of course, uh, subscription to the website um, and then, you know, the volunteers and then financial support. We are a nonprofit organization and we are, um, you know, grassroots just getting started with with all of our funding. So, you know, any sort of financial support is welcome and that can be um, found on our site as well. Okay. Um, Melanie, we ask, ask each of our guests for a life hack. This is a piece of advice or a tip on how to do some task better, maybe a bit of inspiration. Um, so what's your life hack for us today? Well, I, I love this question. And, and because I feel like we have like the answer to this problem. Uh, there's so many people talking about the problem and there's so many books and shows and blogs and in the news and you just keep hearing all this stuff about the problem but but we feel like we really have the solution and the solution is what I alluded to earlier in our life hack I mean I it's like step back and and look and, and look at the the view you have to understand what your goal is with with raising kids and it's not to 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 just make sure they have every little gadget you know it you know, as soon as they can. That is not your goal. Your goal is to raise responsible, independent children who will grow up and be happy and successful. And we know from the Harvard Grant study that a 75-year longitudinal study of, about happiness, and they weren't sure what it was going to be 75 years ago, but now after they've done their study, they know that it's warm relationships and the second thing is chores and hard work. I know that sounds crazy. So my life hack is to um, actually get back to your kids in their, their area of where they're building their grit and their follow through and their, their hard work and start working on their life skills before you work on their screen skills. So if you could just put that on your refrigerator, let's work on our life skills before we work on our screen skills. The screen skills are so easy and we think our kids are going to be behind if they're not on a screen. And I can tell you right now, every bit of technology that was designed today, all the brilliant technology that we have out there was not designed by people who played video games and were on social media when they were children. They were doing chores. They were working hard. They had strong family relationships and strong attachments to their family. And they were outside playing the way kids should be outside playing, solving problems, you know, in the cul-de-sac and on the sandlot baseball yard. That's where our kids need to be. That's my life hack. Get them off their screen and get them outside and start building their their life skills. They should be doing their laundry. They should be um, uh, walking the dog and taking care of the cat and doing things around the house. Those are the things that we need to focus on. I know it sounds really kind of simple, but it's very profound once a 
parent starts to understand what their job is to help their kids do life first before five hours of screen time a day. Okay. Melanie Hempe's article, Rethinking Screens, Reclaiming Kids, is in the spring-summer issue of Healing Magazine. And Melanie, thanks for being with us on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. On this special edition of our podcast series, we're hearing from some of the folks who have contributed articles to the latest issue of Kids Pieces, Healing Magazine. Maybe you'd like to be among that group. If you're involved in caring for children with mental or behavioral health concerns and have an idea for an article for our magazine, please email us healing at kidspeace.org. Finally, we welcome back to the podcast, Chris Ferry, Executive Director of Kids Pieces Pennsylvania Community Programs. When Chris shared with me his family's experience with what he called cyber detox, I knew we had to capture that for this special section of Healing Magazine. Chris, thanks for joining us. Before we go any farther, I have to say congrats are in order as you are our very first repeat guest on the Conversations with Kids Peace podcast. Oh, fantastic, Bob. I, I hope I get some kind of plaque. Well, we're going to let you, we're, 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 you're going to have to bask in that glory a little bit there because we do want to get to our, uh, our questions here because I really want to get first to the motivation behind the creation of the No Electronics Tuesday at your house. I mean, you know, really it was just around, you know, increasing human interaction and the real life versus, you know, the fake uh, social media world. You know, there's uh, kids these days, I think, are losing the ability to read social cues and they're not learning how to cooperate and socialize with people when their face is down and they're tied to some kind of uh, phone or, or iPad. So it was really that. Now, on the other side, do you think that it has an effect in making your kids uh, more knowledgeable consumers of the online and social media content? Yeah, I mean, that, that aspect's there as well. But for me, it was just, you know, let's be more focused on the present and let's be more focused on each other. You know, I think, you know, if, if you're not putting any kind of restrictions on anything, it you know, everything that's unchecked just kind of blows up. And before you know it, everybody's heads down, everybody's tied to something, and you're just losing that basic face-to-face. Was there resistance to implementing this among the members of your family? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You know, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard when, when you let something go for a while and you know, a lot of parents these days, and, and me included, you know, it's easy when you're out or you're trying to enjoy a dinner um, just to push a, a social media platform or some an iPad or iPhone to a kid, you know, so they're at least, least a little bit more intent while you're sitting there. So to try to do this at home, I, you know, there was a lot of resistance. And, um, you know, you got to start slow. Well, that, that leads me to a question. I mean, what, in addition to that, is there other advice that you might give to parents who would want to follow your example and adopt a no electronics day in their own household? Yeah, you know, start, start off with, you know, simple things like, you know, every time the food comes out, whether or not you're out somewhere or you're at home, electronics go away. And then after a while, you want to introduce, you know, kind of the second phase. And for me, it was you know, giving enough ample time. So, hey, hey, guys, next Tuesday, um, we're going to try this and then explain the reasons why. We're going to try this because, you know, I want to see your, your faces more. I want to talk more. I want to talk about your game more. I want us to interact more. 
and then be prepared to, to fight the battle for a few weeks. But after a while, once, the, once it's consistent, it gets easier and easier. You seem to indicate in the article that um, you feel that life around the house might be more pleasant following the cyber detox. How so? You know, just talking more. Um, you know, I got two young boys in the house, uh, age 8 and 11. You know, they, they play together more. They're interacting more. You know, we're asking each other about our day. It's just a fantastic thing. It's led me to, you know, have a routine now where I pick up my kids and they're required to tell me three things that happened today at school. And then they ask me three things that happened at work. And it could be, you know, what did you learn today? Or, or what what did you have for lunch today? What was the special you had in school today? And they're prepared for it. And then when I pick them up, it's the same thing. So it's just dialogue in general. And then having a full day where we're asking questions and, and talking about things that are going on in life, it's just fantastic. Fantastic, indeed. Well, Chris, you've been around this track for a while, so you know that we ask each of our guests for a life hack. So what's your life hack today? When things don't happen right away, just remember, it takes six months to build a Rolls Royce and 13 hours to build a Toyota. <laughs> I have to say, we've just done a few of these, um, but you, you are definitely one of our front runners for best life hacks. I want to tell you that. I appreciate it. <laughs> Always a pleasure having you with us, my friend. Chris Ferry, Executive Director of Kids Pieces, Pennsylvania Community Programs. Healing Magazine is published by Kids Piece twice a year and provides practical clinical advice for parents and children's professionals. The spring-summer issue of Healing Magazine is out now. You can see an electronic copy on the website www.healingmagazine.org. At that website, you can also subscribe to the paper edition of Healing. Thank you for joining us and listening, and we look forward to having you join us again for more Conversations with Kids Peace. Take care.